This is Slashers, a horror movie podcast brought to you by two goons with nothing better to do on a Friday night than talk about a movie they did not like. Uh, that kind of that was an approximate rhyme. I feel Dr. Susian. <laughs> uh, Brian, why yes, don't you sir. say hi to our friends, the mutant goons from beyond? Hey, how's it going, guys? You hear how velvety smooth Brian sounds? It's because he's not wearing a shirt and his ruffling manchestical hairs are absorbing the reverberating sounds and he's, you just get pure, unadulterated sex. That's right, guys. Uh, Jake is definitely has the pleasure of seeing these, uh, I guess you would call them black nipples. I mean, they are tattooed, so. So for those of you who don't know, my, my homie from another momie has a Gandalf tattoo across his chesticles and it is <laughs> intense. And there is an entirely black nip, which... I have both of my armpits tattooed, and I felt like that made me a man. And then I saw his black nipple, and I was—I looked into the void that there is, and it was kind of like <laughs> that movie Interstellar, where everything becomes fractal and you lose yourself. Um, and about twenty minutes later, Brian had to remind me that I was still staring at his nipple. It was a very <laughs> interesting introduction as we were paddleboarding a few years ago. Yeah, it's—it uh, was definitely like fifteen seconds of pure bliss. Let me tell you. <laughs> so as we sit here tonight. Uh, we have an episode coming out, which is one of our Stephen King episodes, which means that not only will we be reviewing the movie, but we will also be reviewing the source material. And Brian and I both panicked that we weren't going to be able to get to that in time. So we watched something in order to have a filler episode, but we've enjoyed Salem's Lot so much. We're gouging through it, and we are still on schedule to give you the content you have come to know, love, and expect. So we are turning this episode into a abridged version because i believe i speak for both members of the slashers uh bench when i say fuck this fuck ted bundy fuck netflix yeah well you know what i mean i feel like i don't know i don't i don't think i can say honestly fuck ted bundy to the point where it's like i want to write off everything about as far as knowing the dude was as far as a crazy batshit crazy person but as far as this documentary goes like fuck ted bundy as far as how they covered him if that makes any sense so you're talking about like like, as a a base of knowledge and understanding not condoning his action right just have to make sure right as an attorney i have to make sure there's that disclaimer on the record no (laughs) (laughs) as 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 much as i love you know the blood and guts it's it's um movie magic you know what I mean? And that's where I feel like is the, the big difference between uh, documentaries and doing uh, horror movies. You know what I mean? It's uh, you, like, I tend to cheer for uh, the kills in horror movies. Uh, <laughs> you don't really do that here. You know what I mean? It, there's not really any kind of way about doing that. It's it, especially, you know, coming from um, somebody like yourself with your circumstances as far as, uh, you know, the new addition uh, in your life, oh, yeah. you know, that's got to be super hard for you. It was so, not um, pleasant. I will tell you that. Right, right. So, huh, you know, it, the way I look at it, um, and, you know, like you said before, um, both of us agree that it was kind of a shit show, this four-part documentary. Yeah. I feel like it, it, I feel like it was um, one of those things where you could probably save a lot of people a lot of time by saying, let's just have them read the Wikipedia page. Yep. 
and save them about three and a half to three hours and 45 minutes of their life. Wholeheartedly agree. So we're going to set forth some ground rule in this mini bonus episode. Uh, first off, we are not going to be going and delving into the true crime elements of everything. We're not going to be the motive, the crime scene. I'm not giving any kind of legal analysis. We are analyzing conversations with a killer, the Ted Bundy tapes, uh, just as a piece of cinema and as a documentary series. Uh, Like Brian said, I had a really hard time with this because of the methodology with which it was delivered. Um, My biggest problem was the sensationalism of it. Something Brian and I talked about before we got on the show was I have viewed Ted Bundy uh, documentaries in the past. I've listened to Ted Bundy podcasts, and every time it's through the prism of learning something new, gaining a new perspective. And so this documentary series is under the guise, oh, well, you know, this is his confessional tapes. This is a new perspective. Brian, can you give me any kind of estimate for how long out of the hundred hours of tape you actually listen to Ted Bundy's tapes in this documentary series? Uh, yeah, I, I draw a blank. You know what I mean? It's, it's, none of it is relatable or not, not necessarily relatable, but it just, it doesn't translate, right? It, nothing is new. Nothing, everything that they sh- covered in the supposed, uh, new, I don't know, tidbits of information that Ted Bundy, you know, released on tape is stuff that I feel like is, it was complete, completely, um, dissected beforehand, right? It's. I feel like it's after the fact. It's stuff that people. Well, okay. I feel like the director made a jump and decided let's release this now because Zac Efron came is coming out with a new movie where you know Ted Bundy's getting a lot of uh, regard, which is weird to say, right? I feel like it's he know, always it's so... got weird regard, which is one of the reasons why I ever even delved into him in the first place. Because you know, we've talked about this. True crime is fascinating to me, but as soon as you get anything like sexual, as if as in rape, I freak out and I can't really get into it. With Ted Bundy, the only reason I even delved into that source material is because I it is so weird how much of a cultural icon this guy became. Right, and, and right. And people don't want to address it because his name might not be synonymous with, you know, this kind of subculture. But he is the Charles Manson of his time. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's really sad to say it, right? Because you look at something like this where it could shed new light on uh, the victims, the families of the victims. Um, but instead, you're really just getting just a glamorized um, four-part series about Ted Bundy. Yeah, we talked about right? it like his greatest hits. This is nothing exactly. new. This doesn't tell you how to avoid having a serial killer. This isn't something like Jeffrey Dahmer where you're analyzing the things that could have led up to him. You know, you're talking about sexual repression. You're talking about a cisgendered, straight, white male who grew up in suburbia. There is a lot to talk about to get from where he is to where he became. And Brian, tell me right. if you agree with this. I think that the filmmaker just intended to do another Ted Bundy documentary and cite some of these tapes. I feel like it, it has to have been the marketing that called it, you know, the, the Ted Bundy tapes. This is the oh, tapes yeah. of Ab- Ted Bundy. Right, absolutely. And it's um, something that I feel like Netflix does really well, where they come out with these new series and they advertise the fuck out of it, right? And everybody's like, well, Netflix doesn't release really bad shit. So this must be good. So let's check it out. And then everybody just like jumps on it like a piranha. 
And now all of a sudden out of nowhere, you have everybody and their mother talking about Ted Bundy again. And it's funny because you look at the way Ted Bundy was once upon a time, super narcissistic. Yep. Like very kind of, I don't know, stereotypical kind of uh, narcissist Mm -hmm. when it comes to, I feel like that's kind of a, a... cue for serial killers right i feel like they're a lot of them are kind of full of themselves a lot of them i mean i don't i don't feel like i should be analyzing psychoanalyzing people because i don't have any kind of expertise when it comes to that but it seems to me like they they have it all in their mind that they are like the greatest thing since fucking sliced bread yeah and And so um, to your point i feel like people need to understand and you know we're shitting on this i think also the theme of the show is having fun with horror and enjoying the camaraderie and enjoying our time with our friends and if you found this episode and this is the first episode of our show you're listening to and you're like i searched out this ted bundy stuff because i enjoyed it and i wanted more and we're just sitting here shitting on something you care about look dude i'm sorry or do that i'm sorry the fact that the perspective that we're looking at it from is just because it has high production value doesn't mean it has high substantive value. Like right, right. To I agree. Brian's I point, wholeheartedly agree. Wikipedia, I think, is much more substantive. It's more chronologically based. The one thing I thought was really funny, and I don't know if you caught this, they talked about he was meticulous when it came to chronology. And then this fucking documentary jumps around like a goddamn jumping bean on fire yes. and PCP at the same time. Like, it yeah. bounced around and it's this sensational anachronistic bullshit to try and create a narrative where I'm just like, I'm tired, man. Just give me the information. Give me his perspective on it and let me be done. But right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, you go back to Ted Bundy being a narcissist and you look at all of the people that he impacted you know, through the daughter that he apparently helped conceive which is really fucking weird. Think about that. And then you imagine, right, he was always so full of himself thinking, well, I'm so so much smarter than the authorities and this and that. So he's very full of himself. Everybody's talking about talking about him 30 years later. Uh, imagine he's in hell somewhere just smiling with the biggest shit-eating grin, right? You still can't figure me out is what he's thinking. You know, He still thinks that he's smarter than everybody else in the room. And to be perfectly fair, we like when I finished this, I was like, I couldn't stand to watch another minute. And yet at the same time, I was like, oh, come on, give me something else. Give me a reason. Like everybody knows that I take meticulous notes when I watch these. And I feel like the fact that I was taking notes is the only thing that got me through a lot of this. And I took 12 pages of notes. And honestly, I'm no better off now in terms of my wealth of knowledge. And it was just very frustrating because they all portray him as the boogeyman. And then there's the occasional comment where it's like, oh, he's crazy or he's not as smart as he thinks he is. Well, show me. Show me how smart he thinks he is. There's a hundred hours of tape. Like, it is crazy to me that you get maybe in four hours plus. It's it's maybe maybe 15 minutes. minutes. (laughs) Exactly. Maybe 15 minutes. Yeah. I don't know. It's... It's kind of hard to fathom. Uh, I feel like it's... I don't feel like we should completely shit on it all, like, completely. But at the same time, 
it's it's totally a good jumping point for somebody. I feel like just delving into it. Agreed. Right? If this is the first like... immersion that you have into the source material, I think you could do a hell of a lot worse. Uh, you know, the production value is good. It is delivered in a visually interesting way. Uh, but it's also, if you've done any kind of true crime documentaries in the past or anything, you'll know it's very contrived in its methodology. Like, for instance, the voiceover that starts off everything. You have everybody's different voice of how he's perceived. And you have, you know, the news blurb. And then you have somebody who considered him his friend. And then you have his mom. And then you have his family. And then you have, uh, you know, some minor background information. And blah, 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 blah. And it's all these voices going on at the same time. And I get the, the idea behind it is, oh, this guy is so enigmatic. He's been pers- in so many different ways. Okay. But at the same point, I've seen it a dozen times. The way that right. you hook me is right. just somebody walks into a room and presses play on a tape recorder and walks the fuck out. Yeah, basically. It, I feel like it's, um, you know, as somebody like me and you, um, I don't want to lump us into a category, but <clears throat> I feel like people who don't necessarily uh, feel squeamish about certain things. They kind of look into the psyche of serial killers or um, delve into just the the initial look and say, oh, well, I'm reading and they did this. this. You actually want to go more into it. Um, I feel like this is basically like the vanilla ice cream version of like a lot of documentaries. Like, I mean, I give, I guess that's making vanilla ice cream really bad because I really like vanilla ice cream, but it's, you know I mean? It's very bland. It's, it's lowest common denominator, nothing, right? That's the thing. Is there's, it, there's, there's nothing past it. Yeah. There's no hypothesis in this. There's no thesis statement that they're trying to prove. It's, this is just the information. You can't argue with it because it's as factual as it is. The only thing that we're arguing with is really the method with which they're presenting the, you know, so as a little bit of background, the whole thing starts and you find out that in 1980, an investigatory journalist, not named Derek Zoolander, but rather named Steve McCowd, Michaud, Michaud, Steve, Stephen Michaud, interviews Bundy. Apparently he tries to make some kind of deal to manipulate and ends up coming in. He gets his assistant, who is his mentor, uh, Hutch Ainsworth, I think is correct. Um, and Hutch goes off and does other investigations. Meanwhile, Stephen Maichode goes to in, you know, interview the devil. Uh, he does this over a span of six months, gathers 75 to 80 tapes, which I thought that was weird too. How do you not know how many fucking tapes? Didn't you take an inventory before you made a goddamn documentary <laughs> about the tapes? No, this this was this was while he was on death uh, death row, right? Correct. But I'm okay. talking about how yeah. like the source material that you know, right? It, right. And also the way the documentary starts off because it starts off with him describing the situation, and you know, he says he gets the hundred hours. And, you know, he talks about how he and Ted were superficially similar, you know, both being born in the same place, both in Seattle, even having common friends. Um, talking about then it goes to his Tacoma in Seattle, Washington, in 1951. And it starts to kind of create the timeline. You you jump, it says, uh, people perceive me differently than I perceive myself was like the first big quote I got from Ted. And it's one of those frustrating scenarios where it's of it's very clear what he is getting at there. And you really could have delved into that. You could have delved into his psyche, but instead it was kind of just a bookend to move the subject before you get to his first victim, right? Right, right. And yeah, it was a... Uh... 
definitely a great quote to start with, but there was nothing after the fact. You're absolutely correct. So then it gets to his first um, victim, Linda Healy. Uh, she gets, uh, she's noticed that she's missing almost immediately. And um, I mean, really, what do you think? It goes from that and it establishes some some woman whose brother was Ted's friend calling him and his family have-nots and complaining about his temper. And you're juxtaposing that with Ted's perception of himself and her perception where he's like, I'm so great. I was so great in school. Listen to how great I was. And then her being like, nah, none of that's true. I think that was probably the most interesting part of the four episodes that I watched. Right, right. Which actually, if, um, if I, uh, memory serves me correctly, from when I was reading up on it, it's it's actually vice versa, where he said, at least to my recollection, he was kind of a loner and an outcast. He didn't really get along with a lot of people. And then they went back and interviewed a lot of people within his high school. And they're like, oh, dude, he totally got along with everybody. But he was kind of just like a he hung around with like everybody as in like I fit in. Not necessarily like uh, I'm a loner, but not necessarily like I'm like the greatest of all time. Yeah. He just kind of was like a in, in the middle somewhere. There's a difference between being an oddball and being an outcast. And I think he definitely was perceived more as being an oddball because he was like omnipresent in all of these group interactions, like going to summer camp. But he was just weird and different. Um, right. You know. I feel like we know somebody like that. But. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the things that makes this so interesting is like, you know, what we're talking about, we're going to get into this in the Salem's Lot episode. You and I were talking, Stephen King does such a great job of making you think, our town could be Salem's lot. Fuck. The hometown that we have is on the other side of the fucking country. And I'm still like, right. I could totally see it. And that's what you could do with this Ted Bundy shit. I could tell you fucking 20 guys from just our graduating class. I'm like, yep, he, you know, he wasn't athletic. He wasn't the smartest guy, but he had a high opinion of himself. He was always in the background. He's a fucking creep. And that's and that's really what's kind of scary about it, if you think about it. I feel like if there wasn't as great of technology and uh, forensics as there is now, there would be more Ted Bundys, right? Because after watching that documentary, if anything, it highlighted to me how much uh, the detectives and the police force back in the 70s and the 80s were really just kind of bumbling around in the dark. At least to me, right? For and it's, sure. And like, I'm, I'm not, I'm far from the detective. I'm not trying to say I would be some phenomenal Sherlock Holmes, but it's, it's, it's kind of baffling, right? How much evidence is just like, well, it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. It's, it's been more than eight hours. Well, see you later. And also, he, I mean, if you look at Bundy's trial, that's another thing that could be fascinating because, you know, they do go over it for a length of time, but they don't go into it like the legal substance of it. In terms of the evidence that actually gets him incarcerated, it's almost like, you know, going back to Charles Manson. Logistically, on a legal basis, you're not talking about a mountain of evidence. You're not talking about these kinds of eyewitness testimony for murders. Yes, there's eyewitness testimony for parts. But I'm moving on. Uh, in trying to address that, my point is there are different ways that you can perceive this information. There's different ways you can present this information, and especially when you have, you know, his narcissism, and you can like literally demonstrate the difference between his perception and reality, and they just kind of let it go. Yeah, yeah, it's totally true. And uh, kind of going back to when when it comes to the police work, right? As far as if you think about 
the timeline between him kind of getting caught, going to going to jail, then getting released, and then, you know, getting caught again and again. It's like, it all seems like it's like him setting himself up to, like, be back in jail. Or, I don't know, right? Does it seem like he just, like, put himself in, like, really stupid predica- predicaments? What he does, where the he could have totally U- gotten away with a lot more shit. But he's like, well, I'm going to get really drunk and drive around, you know, in my little Volkswagen. <laughs> well, it, it blows my mind. He escapes. He gets into the cabin. He's out in the woods. He finds shelter. He has shelter. He it talks about eating that cabin. He steals a car. And he gets caught doing an illegal U-turn. Back. Like, I don't understand that. And they could have done a better job if not only just to explain the situation. Like, I'm not from Aspen, Colorado, so maybe there's some viable reason. Maybe that there was a road that was, there's only one road out of town, and that's why it's this way. Um, maybe that actually sounds kind of familiar loud. But still, getting into his psyche is probably the most interesting thing because you're not getting into it legally. I realize that, you know, while that might be anecdotally interesting to me, the vast majority of people don't actually give a fuck about the substance of the law. They give a fuck about like suits and TV shows like that where they have a vague idea of the law. So it rules that out when it comes to psychologically. Well, I mean, we've done quite a bit of that. So this is kind of a way of fact checking Bundy with Bundy and we'll get into it. I'm going to start pushing us through the story because I want to try and hit some of the parts to kind of show the progression thereof. 1966, he gets his bachelor's degree, starts dating Diane uh, Marjorie Jean Edwards. He was a Richard Nixon Republican. He was the kind of guy you want your sister to marry. Boom. This is how we establish him. That is effective. I have this. Then you actually get his perspective of his relationship with Marjorie. Again, effective. Let's delve into that. But it glossed over pretty quickly. He gets accused of spying for Rosalini's Democratic opposition. Okay, that's also very interesting. Let's talk about it. He's on the news as a potential spy. Let's talk about it. Now we're going to keep moving. They just move on. They just... In 1973, he has an, a mediocre LSAT score and goes to the University of Puget Sound and goes to night school. What's he doing there today? Let's talk about it. Let's analyze it. Let's see if we can find anybody from his classes. Let's see what classes he's actually... Nope, nothing. 1974, we then go into the murder spree. Uh, So how do you think that the backstory is established? You get virtually no substance about his childhood, and then you get roughly a... Let me make sure my math's correct. Six plus eight. Yeah, okay. Eight years leading up to the murders. Did you feel that was adequate? Uh, it's it's weird. It's I don't know what it is when it comes to gore and violence, but I feel like majority of the people, um, I guess I couldn't say majority. I've never been to a NASCAR, but I feel like a good portion of the people that watch NASCAR watch it for the potential of crashes. Yeah. Right. And that's it's it's weird. It's one it's something that uh, humans just look they look for. It's really strange to kind of pinpoint right because people can say well i'm against violence and this and that but if there's an accident on the freeway they're probably the first ones to turn and look and see what's going and that's where i feel like this uh, director really is going with it they're like well let's just gloss over the boring shit oh here we go here's the juicy stuff here's where we get to delve into the murder it's the song sex and violence my friend you know, and there's also a lot of startling similarities between Bundy and what, you know, the Golden State Killer or the East Area Rapist or the original Night Stalker. You know, he has a familiarity with law enforcement just like 
Eastery Rapist did because Bundy worked at the Seattle Crime Commission. You know, he has a, a history of getting away because of jurisdictional bullshit. That's how the Eastery Rapist went until 2018, I think, before being arrested. There's a lot of things you can compare it to, but you want to treat it as this isolated situation, and then you're not even giving me the full substance of it. Blah, blah, blah. Let's move on. Uh, so they start studying the time between the abductions and the murders and studying the occult. They can't figure it out. It's a means of showing how desperate they are procedurally, but it's pretty much just making cops look stupid and everybody's saying, well, we don't have the technology. That's, that's what it was. We don't have the technology we have now. And it's like, okay. Yeah. I don't neat. know how many times I heard that throughout the time. You know, what's great is that Ted Bundy didn't have the, uh, technology that you had either. So he wasn't finding his victims through Craigslist. Like, imagine how much worse this would have been if he had fucking MySpace and he could just find girls that way and get them to deliver themselves to him, for Christ's sake. So um, we go on. Ainsworth interviews one of the families. He's very sympathetic. Uh, quote, I loved her so much it was disabilizing. That's how uh, Bundy views Liz. And... Liz falls into the background for, I think, two episodes, and then she only comes back because he wants to confess if he gets to talk to her. I mean, I don't know. Is this even worth going through chronologically at this point? Because as I'm looking at my notes, I'm like, <laughs> oh, it just went to 1980. Oh, no, it's going back to 74. Nope, it literally goes right back to 80 a couple minutes later, and then you end episode yeah. one. I feel like I feel like a couple times even they, they jump back into his childhood a little bit. And it's like they bring up him being a loving child in a awesome home when in reality I feel like it was anything but that. Um, but you know, neither here there nor there. So we had episode one, blah blah. We uh, let's see. I wrote some notes through violence, irrational belief. Next time somebody fulfilled quote it. Oh yeah, I asked my wife what she thought after the first one because I have a pretty strict rule that I'll watch the first episode of almost anything but then after that it's a question if we'll keep going. She said <laughs> that it didn't hit her at all and she's usually pretty keen on true crime stuff and really I wouldn't have continued watching even though I'm a completist whore who likes to have complete runs of every comic <laughs> and watch every movie in a series yeah. if it wasn't for the fact that we were going to do this episode. Yeah, my wife um, was... A little interested, but at the same time, a little mortified at the same time. And uh, actually, at the end of uh, at the end of the night, when we went to bed, she had a little bit of some fucked up dreams. So thanks, Uncle Ted. So we get to episode two, titled One of Us. And I'm pretty sure I saw a clip from Texas Chainsaw Massacre used as stock footage. Uh, if you look, I'm like 90% certain it involves the hitchhikers at the start of that movie. Uh, you know... <laughs> I was so like intrigued because if that's the way you want to go with it, then sure, let's let's see how weird we can get. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, is that is that the part where um, it basically showed um, a significant amount of uh, women being uh, reported missing within a certain amount of time, and how there was like uh, an, an abundance of hitchhiking at one point, and then all of a sudden it kind of dropped off. Yeah, and then it's him talking about women or possessions and. Then blah blah yeah you're exactly right they get into right. the stats as far as you know forty-two thousand vw bugs in washington they had a list of a thousand names they listened to a hundred names and it ends up that bundy isn't on the list in either form or fashion uh, in 1980 we go back and he starts talking about quote-unquote the entity and he's talking about his porno habit and he's talking about his connection with violence the entity told him to do it blah 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 
the blue eyes then turn black. What do you think, Brian? Oh, that that was so cheesy. Uh, I remember that specifically and thinking um, big Hollywood, right? I feel like this is like big Hollywood production. We got to try and amp this up a little bit. You know, let's show his like deranged face and change the color of the eyeballs because, you know, that's believable. Yeah, bro, I can edit that on my phone. I can make a meme better than that. And if you want better memes than that, go to slasherspod at Instagram.com. <laughs> a little self-promoting. I like it. Shameless. Uh-huh. Just like the people who made this fucking documentary. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Carol. Oh, uh, there's Carol. She escapes. That makes me happy. The, the girl The girl that escaped from the mall. Yeah. The 18-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, dude. She was pretty smart, man. Apparently, from what I read, is uh, he got her in the car and he put both handcuffs on one hand and that is how she was able to escape well he was like in like a rush right and he was just like okay well i gotta get both hands handcuffed bam both of them on one on one wrist is like bitch i'm out if i'm not mistaken it's bundy who talks about very distinctly and it's quoted pretty often i think maybe it's even the last podcast on the left quotes it that the first time you commit murder you are fucking meticulous and the 25th time you're wondering where you put your screwdriver Right, and if, right. You definitely get so comfortable with everything, and it's one. It's something where, yeah, it's everybody does. Everybody does it when it comes to um, different aspects. Obviously, not everybody is a serial killer, but you get so comfortable doing any job. Uh, that's why they talk about, uh, at least for me, within the construction industry, never get comfortable because as soon as you let your guard down, you forget your hard hat, or something happens. Uh, a piece of equipment falls smacks you on the head boom you're dead Dead. yeah and so again this is something where i would really have loved to have bundy's perspective in more depth because at a certain point he becomes manic right and he's going on a kill spree when he goes to the dorms and he talks about the type of person who would have done that he doesn't necessarily talk about the crimes themselves and granted i think i might be a little overly critical i will admit Right. That I might maybe sorta kinda possibly potentially not be fair to this because I'm assuming that out of a hundred fucking hours, you could get at least one good hour of stuff from a guy who's a brilliant orator. So maybe I'm being unfair and it's just mumbling garbage the rest of the time. But well, for fuck's sake, come on. Like, here here's the thing, Jake. I feel like that was the money shot for the the supposed recordings. I mean, it's not supposed, it, it's actual recordings, but that was the money shot was where I feel like he was just getting completely blocked out by Ted. He was like, well, he's not really talking to me, so that, and then he talked to somebody and they're like, why don't you suggest talking to him and having him do like a third person where it's not potentially him. And it's like, that's supposed to like all of a sudden be like, my head exploded. Oh shit. That is amazing. Let's have him do that. I, why didn't I think of that? You know, I feel like that's so played out. It's something that's been done like a dozen times where it's like, supposedly, supposedly this happened or so this is what some guy did he went and did this it's like i feel like that's kind of played out but eh, and also why the fuck didn't they just start with the good stuff like you don't you put your best foot forward why don't you start with him being hooked and caught and move on i don't understand why i had to watch over an hour's worth of material before he's like aha gotcha when the material that we've got out of ted we don't even know it's regurgitated 
We don't know how you know, contrived it all is. If anything, it kind of was almost humorous the way that he was presenting himself. Did did you? Let me ask you. Did this remind you of Andy from The Office in the earlier stuff? And he's like, I aced all my classes. They called me Ace. I got straight Bs. They called me Buzz. And where he's like bragging, but then also not. And he's just so dissociative from everybody else. That's Bundy, I think, until like episode three. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because uh, you you had mentioned earlier that uh, he seemed very manic. And I had brought that up to Michelle, actually. And I said, I feel like it's, uh, he, you know, the person, at least a psychologist, I, I believe, um, diagnosed him as bipolar. Yep. Right? And then... Um, I've, I think it's even even more so than that. It was just manic where he'd have that extreme high and extreme low. And we were kind of discussing it earlier where what exactly would be his extreme low. And I, I don't know if it, it's, it, it's between him in between kills or if it's him actually doing the killing. Right. I don't know, because I feel like his extreme high could actually be him playing off like he's a normal dude. Yeah. Right. Exactly. He can. He, so that's how know. he hides in plain sight. It's when he's doing well, and then otherwise. But we don't know. We don't explore his perspective enough. You know, the fact that his killings are spaced out. It's like the Zodiac killer at a certain point. But then we never go any further. We don't get his analysis on. It. They vaguely reference like the whole Mindhunter type program later on that the FBI does right. with the profile. Start with that. Yeah. He has a yeah, bachelor's absolutely. in psychology. Hello. So why one thing that. I have to think about is um, why don't they do a lot more documentaries on serial killers that are still alive, right? Because that gives you new perspective. I'd like to have a new documentary on the Green River Killer because that is genuinely interesting to think of new perspective from the source. You you can't do it with guys like uh, the Iceman, with Dahmer, with Son of Sam. You you look at so many people who have those mythologies about them and i think it's almost like your standard kurt cobain where the mythology builds behind them because it's all speculation and that's the thing here in this situation because we have from the horse's mouth we don't even have speculation we actually have real information and evidence potentially and it's kind of weird right i'm passionate about how much i hate june 7th 1977 we get sheriff who looked like a dick keenass because his name oh, was like, Dick is that, the, is that the Tallahassee or the one of the guys from Florida? Is that one of the guys from Florida? He has like black hair. He almost looked like a uh, Steven Seagal kind of dude. No, I think he's later. This is the guy. <sighs> you know, yeah, it's when Bundy jumps at 25 feet to the ground. That's my, oh, my joke right, is right, that right, the right. sheriff looked like a Dick Keenest. <laughs> which I really wish I would have remembered my notes, but I just, I don't. I couldn't care enough to prepare for this. This is a bonus episode. What do you expect? You don't pay for the full episodes. You don't pay for the bonus ones. Give me a goddamn break. I work every day and I slave away and I do this for likes on Instagram. <laughs> I thought I did it just to hang out with Jake every once in a while, but apparently it's for the likes. It's cool. Whatever. You're regretting it desperately, aren't you? <laughs> like, why the fuck Not. is he yelling so much? <laughs> Not even the slightest. Oh, you're so sweet. Uh, let's move on. He describes his escape as an extraordinary experience. This is the one where he lost 25 pounds to crawl through the roof. Whatever. So this that's the second time, right? Yep. Motherfucker acting like Dalsim from Street Fighter. Nobody gives a fuck. Uh, moving on. Trial for murder for Karen Campbell. Oh, when he okay. escaped. This is the best part. 
the best part of the whole fucking thing. The district attorney threatens to bring criminal charges for those who are criminally negligent in Bundy's escape if anybody's hurt. <laughs> uh, please tell me there was some follow-up. I would love was, to know if there was some follow-up. Yeah, I remember immediately after that was said, I was I looked at Michelle and I was like, somebody got fired. <laughs> somebody had to have got oh, fired. Oh, for sure. There's fired and then there's what happened to that fucking guy. Because he's like, oh, anybody gets a fucking paper cut. <laughs> and then it's two murders, two, three attempted murders in the span yeah, of single night. Right. Somebody's ass is getting fucking handed to him very handedly. Mm-hmm. And then after they're done being handed their ass, Ted Bundy takes it and experiments with necrophilia, which you find out he admits to in the last episode. Weird. Oh, yeah. That's... Moving they, on. They, they, well, hold on. Let me just, let me just delve into this real okay. quick. Okay. Let's, let's they, get an elbow deep into the necrophilia talk. Not necessarily <laughs> the necrophilia talk as a whole, but how incredibly gross inhuman Ted Bundy is as a whole. And they just basically portray him as some serial murderer. He was more than that, right? Oh, yeah. He, he, he decapitated over a dozen bodies they don't mention that in this netflix documentary no they don't mention that at all they don't they barely touch on necrophilia but it's it's necrophilia to the nth degree he visited people multiple times to the point where oh shit now it's uh their bodies starting to decompose to the part you know to the point where i can't actually get my rocks off that's how gross this dude is like it's they don't they don't portray that at all in this documentary and i feel like that's really something that weird i don't know does that seem weird to you everything about this seems weird the fact that they talk about him abducting and doing terrible things to a 12 year old and then it's like oh my god he's like so he couldn't hurt anybody says the girl who's what a couple years older who's being allowed to watch a criminal murder trial like everything about this doesn't make sense but instead what they want to do is give me a chronology that's broken up that they splice in a bunch of bullshit other footage from you know the i none of that stuff is actually from this movie i have reason to believe they stole from texas so i don't like it brian it's hurting my feelings uh, no, no. And, um, you know, you had brought up earlier how he went to the Kai Omega Kappa, whatever the fuck house and did, you know, bludgeon the girls to death. Well, there was two out of four, uh, two survived. Um, they barely brought up the two survived. Um, I'm obviously, uh, I don't think they would be willing to uh, talk on this documentary and I would expect them not to, but you can get some in-depth you know, info on, you know, their family members, uh, what happened to them after the fact, not necessarily have them in front of the camera, like I said, because I feel like a lot of them have lifelong fucked up shit that's, that's happened to them and it's still happening to them, but no, nothing. They just gloss it over. They're like, oh, well, two people died and two people, two people survived, but uh, enough about that. They survived. And, that's all you need to know. And the victims, it's just like, oh, they're dead. Or they're not dead. And it's like, do you know what it's like to live with... Like, there's... He is such a despicable motherfucking piece of shit. So terrible. 
And they don't even bring up the fact like, oh, yeah, his victims who are alive today, you know, like the the one gal who was willing to be, she's been living longer than she was alive at the time of the attack. That's how long she's lived since. And she has to live with it every fucking day what this piece of shit did. But instead, we're just going to hit the greatest hit. And, you know, we they almost victimized him at the end with the death penalty. And I was so shocked by the way that was presented. And this is coming from a guy who's like, fuck the death penalty. It costs too much money. Fuck your morals. What do you think about the fact that he sat there for eight years and they're doing all these appeals and you think about how much that costs the state? That's why the death penalty. Just let him get raped and in jail and move on. Right? Yeah, I mean, let let it take care of itself, right? They will eat each other, you know, within within the prison system. Let it let it happen. And then in episode four, they're talking about the trial extensively. They're talking about how the DNA evidence is weak. If the DNA evidence is weak... Let's talk about the jury. Like that was one of the things that was really interesting about the. I don't know if you watched the trial of O.J. Simpson. They they now have on Netflix. It's real good. Cuba Gooding Jr., the guy who played Bross, Travolta, other people. Well, Nathan Lane. I can't just dismiss him as other. <laughs> who I love dearly. If you haven't seen The Birdcage, I'm going to start a side podcast <laughs> for slashers, and it's just going to be me watching slashers. The Birdcage at different <laughs> speeds because I want to just be engrossed in that movie. But one of the things they did a really good job with there is the voir dire when it's talking about like jury selection and all these. We know. Fuck all. How is yep, it that nothing. there's these girls who are like creaming their jeans in the same room as these people who say, oh yeah, completely convicted of murder, no question. Peace. I don't know. It was weird. And it, like throughout the whole um, court process, I was just thinking to myself, Jake must be flipping his oh. shit. How, how did the defense let him like cross? What, what is it? I, don't, I forget the term cross. Uh, cross um, yeah. How did they, how did they agree to that? They're just like, oh, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> I don't need my job do it well that's that's the thing with state appointed counsel they really have no say because he could have solely represented himself the whole thing is very weird um i think the judge ends up coming out looking really good because there are a couple times where he's kind of made to look he's almost bullying but then at the end right. when he talks about him being a total waste of humanity he says that you know you are a bright young man who i could have used in practice you know i think that's right, really interesting right. And again, it's kind of wasted, but whatever. Yeah, you know what was crazy is um, how he could have uh, copped a deal, right? And he was just so full of himself nope. that he's like, well, nope, I got this. I got this. And then <laughs> and his whole defense is like, oh, God. Uh, this honky uh, motherfucker <laughs> has a baby on death row. We don't want to talk about that. He's able to sweet talk the guards into letting him slam this lady who knows that he's in jail for murder. Oh, how about this? When he finally confesses to everything, what does she say? Because there's archival footage of her saying, oh, yeah, he's innocent. I know he's innocent. Fuck y'all. And then how stupid does she look after she's had his fucking baby on death row? No, see, she knows. She knows. That's what's so weird, and that's, I feel like it's really interesting how almost every single serial killer has a harem. It's so fu- right? There's women that just flock to these fucking weirdo psycho killers, and you're, they know the facts, but they just play dumb, and it's, I don't get it. Uh, well, first off, Brian, I have to thank you, because I'm going to have the song, Psycho Killer! 
Kiss, kiss, Because of the way you said that. I like it. You son of a biscuit. Um, yeah, you're exactly right. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about something that's not just this is what happened to him and then he died. Um, did did you like the fact yeah. that they don't say until the end of the fourth episode that our friend My Chode says, uh, if you listen closely, he never confesses. Well, fuck you, buddy, because I figured when I listened to the fucking documentary that at one minute out of 100 hours, he would be like, yep, I done did it. And maybe I'm just spoiled because I've listened to the Iceman tapes where he's like, and then I killed this fool this way, and I killed that fool that way. Well, the Iceman was a fucking thug. That that guy was a fucking crazy ass who just did not give a shit. There was no two ways about that guy. I feel like uh, if him and Ted were in the same room, fuck, Ted would be cowering in a corner. Dude, he would, (laughs) if he was so inclined, Kuklinski would split Bundy's ass through his spine in twain, (laughs) like snapping a fucking wishbone. This pencil neck white devil piece of shit in a turtleneck with his unibrow right and you know what here you brought up a good point and i'm glad that you have corroborated my impressions of this because i thought maybe fatherhood has changed my perspective it's so much grosser to me. no it, it's always been this gross. i hated it I hated the experience i'm sorry if you liked it if you liked it great god bless you allah bless you Joseph Smith, bless you. Whatever you denomination you are, I'm happy that you found something you enjoyed. If you've stuck with us for 40 minutes of us complaining, you have a constitution like I have no idea. But if you're listening by this point, I assume you probably hated it and you just want us to t- talk a little bit more shit and hang up the phone so that you can go about your merry day. Uh, yeah, Brian, hopefully, closing hopefully, thoughts? Um, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully you agree with uh, some of the stuff that we brought up. Maybe we brought some new points to you. Um, uh, you know what? To be honest with you, the first time I watched it, the first episode, I was really intrigued. It was like, okay, um, it started off a little slow. And it's kind of uh, discombobulated as far as um, going from point A to point B. But maybe it'll pick up steam. And uh, no, nothing um it, it it's just a giant clusterfuck and uh I don't, like i said at the beginning of the podcast uh if you check out the uh, ted bunny wiki it'll save you about three hours and 45 minutes of your life yep and you know moving forward i don't know that we're gonna go back to the serial killer documentary train anytime soon if you have anything good that you'd like to recommend Especially for a bonus episode such as this, where we're just trying to churn out some content before our weekly episodes, which come out every Wednesday morning. Uh, <laughs> please feel free to reach out to us, SlashersPod at Gmail, slash, uh, Facebook, pod, Instagram, slash, pod, Twitter, SlashersPod, Reddit. We have a subreddit. Brian, did you know that there wasn't a 90s horror movie subreddit? So I went out and I fucking made one. So that's right, you did. Jump on that shit and just slather us in your love and adoration, especially after we sat negatively and just bitched for an hour about something we didn't like you know what i'll tell you something i did like brian how about this we're gonna end on a positive i watched the short film we summoned a demon and it's fucking delightful i think it's the spiritual successor to the gate if you've ever seen that epic gem i highly recommend you watch it you know what don't watch the bundy tapes watch we summoned a demon if i do the math i think that you would have to Listen, watch that short 40 times in the amount of oh, time shit. it would take you to watch. Definitely save some time. 
Brian, is no. there some kind of media, horror-related or otherwise, that you ingested this week, you enjoy, you would like to recommend to our audience, put our tail between our legs and skulk away <laughs> until it's time to come back with Salem? Uh, nothing that I can recollect other than, um, you know, maybe watch a little Family Guy so you get a little Herbert the Pervert. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's great. Now I have two just <laughs> the polar opposites of pervert in my mind. <laughs> And I have to you go have the sleep. Ted Bundy pervert, and then you have the Herbert the pervert. Two very different perverts. So, <laughs> you like popsicles? Okay, enough of this <laughs> shenanigans. Brian, use your send off. All right, guys. Uh, if you're not watching him dying, you're not really trying. And from your host Jake, go out, do something you love, and remember. That all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy. Hey there, mister. What you doing on school property? Oh, well, you know, I just wanted to check out the boys. Mm, uh, I don't know if that's okay, okay? Oh, well. Why don't you come over here and, and tell me what you think I should do? I'm a guidance counselor, okay? I feel like you're a little bit older than my student body who I guidance and counsel, okay? Well, you wouldn't think so when I put on these sweet P.E. shorts. I'm very uncomfortable with how erect I feel right now, okay? <laughs> <laughs> done, done.